being recorded. Hello, everyone. We welcome you to our Saturday morning Bible study. We're so glad you could join us today. Today we are recording from the North Star Cottage, and we have Tomah from the Big Apple <laughs> here in person. Yep, he took the train, so we're so glad he's here with us. I'm so glad to be here, too. <laughs> yeah. So we welcome you all, and um, we'll let Tom begin. Well, welcome, everybody, to our uh, Bible study. Um, let's start out with our quote. Mankind must learn that evil is not power. Its so-called despotism is but a phase of nothingness. Christian science despoils the kingdom of evil and preeminently promotes affection and virtue in families and therefore in the community. The destruction of the claims of mortal mind through science by which man can escape from sin and mortality blesses the whole human family. So this is from Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures by Mary Baker Eddy, page 102, uh, lines 30 to 2, and page 103, lines 6 to 9. Okay. Well, well, this is a, 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 one of her must statements, isn't it? Mankind must learn? Yes. Mm -hmm. That means that mankind has no choice. It's going to happen. And it's just a question of time. And this isn't like directed at you or me or any one of us, it's directed at everybody, which means it's a law of God. So it has to happen for everybody. Now, it may not happen for everybody at the same time. Some people, it'll come more quickly than others, but it has to happen. Yeah. I think it's a perfect quote, really, because it sums up with what we're about to learn. I think, yeah, we will, through spiritual discernment, we'll find out that evil is nothing, the nothingness of it and the supremacy of truth, God. Thank you, yeah. And Thank this you. is really important for Revelation because as Tom said, you know, to look at it seems rather daunting, <laughs> some of the <laughs> things that are predicting. Um, but we prove it's nothingness. That's how we learn it, is we prove it to ourselves. So, I mean, this is a science. It's provable. This is not wishful thinking. It's not pie in the sky. This is provable. I think the learning that evil is not power comes in proportion to our obedience to God our learning of Christian science and following its leadings and respect for its, uh, the fact that it is the revealed truth to this age and accepting that truth and following it in our daily life. And uh, that's what opens the door to the recognition and proof that God is the only power and therefore evil does not have a power. 
there's a lot to that. It's the relinquishment of human will and the acceptance of the divine will and the obedience thereto. And I'm sure there's much more that can be said to it. That's the pathways I see it. Yeah. And, and just as, as another thought, are, are we going to learn this in school? Do any of the universities teach this? Not anymore. Not anymore. We used to, I think. Uh, yeah. You, even, yeah. Even, probably not to that extent, but at least there was the religious studies, right? Exactly. Exactly. So the, the highly educated that have gone through all the elite colleges and universities aren't going to get this that way. It has to be, it has to be learned through, through something other than our schools, which is why um, the most highly educated people are going to have a hard time learning this. Or they can, if, if they are unlearned in the Bible. Unless they unlearn a lot of the, you know, material beliefs and human beliefs that are propagated through the universities. Maybe some the satisfaction with the human, the intellectualism. That's it. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. The pride of scholastic achievement. Yeah. Right. Another thing that the, the forces of evil would like to try to keep itself in power is the use of fear, tyranny and fear. That's another thing that needs to be broken down and overcome. And Christian science shows the way. Because it's easy to look at a display of evil and become fearful of it. Unless you know that behind this appearance there really is nothing. And that way you can stand up to it, break down this appearance and prove that God good does indeed rule. Thank you. Yeah, and despotism, I mean, that's what it is, despotism. So that's not a nice word. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> but, but we know in science, we have total freedom. Um, Thank God for that, for all, all people everywhere, freedom, which is our divine right, our divine heritage. And, and she uses, in the next paragraph, she uses the word destruction. And talking about the destruction of the claims of mortal mind. Um, when the claims of mortal mind are destroyed, Sometimes we can actually visibly see it being destroyed. And it can be upsetting, disturbing to watch the claims of mortal mind be destroyed. But we shouldn't be upset. I mean, Jesus warned his disciples, right? That there would be famines and wars and stuff like that. And he said, be not disturbed. So we should welcome the destruction of the claims of mortal mind, no matter how disturbing the appearance of such destruction might be. 
Being spiritual. Go ahead, Clarence. It's spiritual discernment that shows you that, that what's going on is destruction of what's not of God. Therefore, don't be alarmed. Look up. Thank you, Pam. Look up. Thank you. And, you know, Mrs. Eddie, they said Mrs. Eddie knew spiritual sense, yes, would tell her what was going on in the, in the whole world. Uh, she was, a, she was, she knew what was going on, spiritually minded, in spiritual ways, but I'm sure she kept abreast of the times, too, with the news, which is also why she created the monitor to tell the truth about what was going on rather than the yellow journalism, which unfortunately is still going on rampantly today. So even, we, even more yellow today. Yeah. So therefore we do need our spiritual sense to guide us right. Thank you, Florence. Um, Karen? In this uh, article, The Seven Churches by Carolyn Getty, um, in the last two paragraphs, I, I feel it ties in with this. It says that Christian scientists must know that evil, with all its pretensions to place and power, is only nothing masquerading as something. They have learned and proved that spirit, God is all, that spirit is our father and mother, and that the divine mind includes all that is real and eternal. Strong in this knowledge, they are abundantly able to meet and destroy the suggestions of animal magnetism, that they are having much to meet. What they have to meet is nothing, and nothing can do nothing at any time, in any place, to anyone. And the practice of nothingness, which is all there is to mental malpractice, can accomplish nothing. And then at the very end, she, and, and the quote says, promotes affection and virtue in families and therefore in the community. The, uh, in the article, for always and ever, there stands at the door of human consciousness, the Christ idea, knocking for admittance. And ours, it is to know that this knocking is heard and needed. So that's how, as we're knowing the nothingness of whatever appears to be some, we're, we're helping the whole community, the affection and virtue in the family by knowing that the Christ is knocking at the consciousness of everybody and they can't hear this truth. That's beautiful. Thank you, Karen. Wonderful quote. Thank you. And that's where we get our fearlessness because we know it's nothing, even though it appears to be something and can appear to be ferocious. That's why David could run to meet Goliath. He knew it was nothing because it did not have God behind it. And that is why, as Christian scientists, we have to have a positive expectation. All right, because our expectation is from the Lord, as it says in the Bible. And also why we need to prove our tools. Thank you. That's yes. why he was able to, another reason he was able to run is because he had proved his tools. Yes. <laughs> he knew once he got there that he was ready. That's very important because you can't spout all this off unless you've proven your tools. You have to have that clout behind it. Otherwise, your words are hollow and empty and you're, you're in for something. <laughs> no, and it won't be a pleasant thing you're in for. You can't talk or act farther than what you have demonstrated. Very important point. Thank you.
And if other people are involved, you're just going to make Christian science look bad because that's what they're going to see. Well, that's it. And that's happened. Mrs. Eddie says that somewhere, you know, don't talk it. If you, if you can't demonstrate it, don't talk it. Um, don't talk over your head because you do. You end up looking foolish and, and worse than that. Okay, Tom, anything more? Uh, yes, for what Gary said about must learn. So um, I may stumble over how to articulate this, right? But, uh, you know, evil is nothing, right? That's what we got in our code here. So um, I feel sometimes there's a tendency to ignore evil. Yes. So I'm going back to those words that Gary talked about, must learn. So this becoming a Christian science and ignoring evil, saying everything's all la, 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 good, is like pulling a veil over us. Thank you. And we need that understanding. Absolutely true. Again. You can't just talk this without the understanding behind it. Thank you. Yeah, this is all stuff that is here for us to prove to ourselves. And until you prove it to yourself, you haven't learned it. You may believe it. You may hope it. You may wish it. But until you've proven it to yourself, you haven't really learned it. Mrs. Eddy wrote somewhere that she had to prove to herself every statement that she wrote down in the textbook. Okay, so I'll uh, read our topic. And um, I picked the topic that relates to the quote, because in the quote, we um, she talks about blessing the whole human family. And that's what we're doing here in studying Revelation is we are being blessed by what we're learning. So what I've got here for the topic is, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. And that's from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse seven. Well, this too is an excellent quote. Um, Carrie sent me such a good article on this that has to be in the Liberator of Carol's on the Divine Viewpoint by Nellie Beardsley. And this is all about what we're talking about. Um, the whole quote's not in there, but starting with verse five, thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm whose heart departeth from the Lord, for he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and the salt land and not inhabited. He shall not see when good cometh. Okay, so then blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when the heat cometh but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. On one side, there'll be discord and dismay. On the other side, there will be science and peace because of this fundamental truth that we can see what God is doing. He's doing it for everyone. 
but not everyone can see it because of the veil that's cast over them or the veil of materiality or the, their education or whatever it is. But that doesn't mean they're limited to that because anyone can wake up and, and see what truly is here right now, which is actually heaven on earth. So I'm going to read from this article a few things. Thoreau once said, there is just as much beauty visible to us in the landscape as we are prepared to appreciate, and not a grain more. The actual objects which one man will see from a hilltop are just as different from those which another will see as the beholders are different. That's the end of the quote. This fact which Thoreau discerned regarding the objects of nature the Christian scientist knows to be equally true regarding every human experience. For to the Christian science, it has been scientist, it has been demonstrated that God good, being omnipresent, all that is perfect, beautiful, satisfying, is always and everywhere present. And the viewpoint of the individual determines the amount of good which he discerns and enjoys. And then it, it talks about the quotes from Jeremiah. Um, you know, Gary and I talk about it often. You can have two people experiencing the same situation. One person will see doom and gloom, and the other person will see joy and happiness and goodness. Now, what's with that? <laughs> it's your thought. Yes. And it may be said that the mission of Christian science is so to spiritualize one's viewpoint that the presence of good may be apparent here and now. For this science seeks not to change that which God hath created, but to unveil it. And then we might say it was Jesus's correct viewpoint, which enabled him to behold spiritually the perfect man, where material sense saw a sick person. This is Eddie tells us in our textbook quote, this correct view of man healed the sick. This is why our vision, our viewpoint, this is uh, Martha Wilcox has an article about viewpoint, how the prophets, the, the way they viewed things, enabled them to heal and, and to bring out supply when there was no supply because it's there. And I, I think it's Kratzer later who, who says in uh, Revelation interpreted that to come quickly means it's so quick it's already present. You just have to accept it and acknowledge its presence. It's amazing what God has done. And this will overturn all those dire predictions. So those verses from Jeremiah are incredible, really. And he says it clearly. Um, and shall not see when good cometh. And his trust is in man. You see, they're trusting in man. Man has the solutions to these problems. Man does not have the solution to these problems. Only God does. And if we stay with that, we will have science and peace during these most um, tumultuous times. Absolutely. And that is the key to Christian healing. It's not willpower. It's not wishful thinking. It's not visualizing. <laughs> right. It's recognizing the, the truth about what God is and what God does for man, which is what Christ Jesus came to show us. And he proved it. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. 
by his clear perception of what God made. And that is, that is the task for each one of us. And it's a science. Nobody is privileged more than anybody else. So don't rely on someone else to do your work for you. <laughs> you can and must do it yourself. Each of us. And what a joy. And when we do it, we are blessed. Period. Again, Mrs. Eddie said that Jesus spared us no responsibility. Right. She that. Yeah, she didn't do it for us. He didn't do it for us, but he showed us that it was possible. And now, I was like thinking about what you were talking about earlier about how you know we, we have to do this. I was thinking about that. We have that article overcoming, not overlooking. And yeah, right. you know, Jesus said, I you know, be of good cheer, I overcame the world. He didn't say be of good cheer, I, I overlooked the world. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. And, and you know that the the verse in the Bible where who was it? Someone asks, uh, can, "Can you show us the Father?" He asks Jesus, and, and, and what's Jesus? Yeah, what's the answer? Said, I've been with you so long, you haven't seen the Father. I've been with you so long, and you haven't seen the Father. Please mm -hmm. let that that not be said of us, of me that we've had this truth and we haven't seen the father. I mean, that when I think of it, it makes me want to cry all that time. I've like, been with you. Like you read in Jeremiah about not being able to see the good. Yes. You know, you have to be able to see it. And this shows where Philip and a lot of the other disciples were. They were seeing Jesus as a, as a person as a man, and they were putting their trust in a man instead yes. of in God. Yes. And Jesus kept turning them, saying, no, no, no. Yes. This is the problem. This is God. Every time he referred to, every time in the Bible, it's Jesus says, I, he's not referring to a human person. He's referring to the Christ. I am the bread of life. The Christ is the bread of life. And that is God's, you know, that was the definition of Christ, divine manifestation, which comes to the earth to destroy incarnate error. That was Jesus' entire mission. And it pained him that people didn't get it. Yeah. Having eyes. You see not. Yes. Having ears. You hear not. Yes. Kind of shed some light on Jesus' statement. He says, if I go not away, the comforter will not come. Mainly, unless your vision turns away from me personally and sees the principle behind all the things I do, you're not going to see this ever-present comforter. That's a great point. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We, we should all be advancing. You know, we should be way advanced where the disciples are. Those of you who are watching The Chosen, you know, see that how clueless they were. And, and we can all identify with that. But we've had the teachings of Christ for all these many years. And then, and then the teachings of Mary Baker Eddy. So let us see and hear. And each one of us has had healing. Yes. Of one thing or another. 
to demonstrate to ourselves. Each one of us is proving more or less that this is, that this science is true. That's a great statement. And it also brings out another point. We, all of us have had tremendously good things happen in our life. But to what extent have we acknowledged it, remembered it, or who says, oh, whew, that's over and on with your life and forget about it. So. That's it. And that's why our testimony meetings, mm -hmm. praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise the everlasting king. I do have to say about the testimony meetings, if you really do all you can to be ready every week, uh, I've been doing it for eight and a half years. It does a lot. <laughs> so that's right. And it's opened up most definitely. Yep. I'll be talking to Jeremy. He's getting his testimony ready. Shardy too. People in Plainfield have learned this important point. You you have it ready whether you give it or not. And if you don't give it, then you can give it the next week. But have it ready. Some things just aren't optional. That's true. And it our should gratitude. be a non-negotiable. That's true. Our gratitude is not optional. Um, no, it's not a good place to go to lose your gratitude. Mm -hmm. And it's a wonderful discipline. And if you take the discipline and do it, it opens the door even wider for more good. It's one of these things that must be done. Must. Yeah. Because, you know, it's amazing how much one forgets what God has done. Thank it you. is amazing to me. And you're right. It's happened to me. That's why we can keep gratitude books. You, you, you get it, and it comes, and it seems so natural that you really forget it. Then months later, you'll say, oh, wow, that I was healed of that problem I was so upset about. Thomas? Well, you learn from the testimonies, too. Yeah. And then it, it, or it either triggers something or you face something. Because of what people have said. Thank you. It's beautiful. And that's a wonderful motivation. If you have any love in your heart for all the people that go to the effort to join our Wednesday testimony meetings, give them something that's helpful. You know, we find our own and another's good. So it's a feast. And the focus shouldn't be on, you know, what the only thing you want healed, which is, you know, in another way, wrong anyway. But the good that's happening, all the good that's happening. Yes. hear about it. Thank you. Because many don't give one because some, some long for thing hasn't been healed yet. But what about all the other things that have happened? All the growth you've been experiencing. Thank you. That's very important. Hello? Yes, we hear you, Zari. Yeah, I was going to say that that's very important because uh, I hear your, uh, I hear the, you know, the, the meetings afterwards because I'm sleeping when you're having your meeting, but it's very important and um, I'm so grateful that everybody contributes and that we're all learning how to heal, that we just don't use a practitioner to do it for us, that we learn how to do it for ourselves. And so for that, I'm very grateful for the work that Plainfield is doing. Thank you so much. That's it. Everybody is learning to practice. If you've, if you've started Christian science, you're in the practice of it. You're all practitioners. 
people come to you, you heal them, you help them. The people sometimes you talk about calling a practitioner a lot. Some of those are people who are working daily for this cause and they're not calling for help for their personal problems. They are ca calling because they're in an army and they need their battle orders and they need to be protected from animal magnetism, which might be trying True. to nip at their heels. True. So that's different from, mm. um, yes. Otherwise you should definitely be doing your own work, most importantly. Okay, Thomas. Okay, so quickly, this does remind me of one of the key things, which I've said many times before, but I'll say it again if it's okay, is I, I grew up thinking that when you went to church, it was kind of like, well, how do I learn to be a better Christian scientist? And then I learned, well, this is a community. Like, I come to church to bless everybody who's there. So right. I'm there to give as opposed to take. Thank you. Um, so we go on our first question. Now, this is uh, um, blessing number six. Uh, Thomason has it on page 109, the seven blessings from Revelation. So we're kind of getting through all these, which is excellent. Um, so it's blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And that's in Revelations chapter 22, verse 7. Now, I might add, um, on the word prophecy, um, there's a, a tendency for me to look prophecy. Oh, okay, so if I read about the uh, future events that I read about in Revelations, that's how I'm blessed. I don't get that, right? But if we, um, I did have the notes about Kratzer, but you, you um, look at what prophecy means, it's more about understanding, knowing the word of God, so if we're learning from revelations, um, and, and, and uh, that is what is going to bless us. So that's how I interpreted this, okay? Thank you. That's good. Mm -hmm. because Matthew, Henry. Go ahead. In, in, Matthew, in Matthew Henry, I read, God calls everyone to witness to the declarations here made. This book, thus kept open, will confirm, strengthen, and further sanctify those who are upright with God. Never let us think that a dead or disobedient faith will save us, for the first and the last has declared that those alone are blessed who do his commandments. There is no middle place or condition. Jesus, who is the spirit of prophecy, has given his churches this morning light of prophecy to assure them of the light of the perfect day approaching. All is confirmed by an open and general invitation to mankind to come and partake freely of the promises and of the privileges of the gospel. Thank you. And, and again, I had Carrie send me a few short quotes on this. Um, and I love this one. This is from the Ellicott commentary. It is not in reading or wondering or talking, but in keeping that the blessing comes. He that loves Christ will keep his commandments, even as Christ loved his father and kept his commandments. Those who so keep the sayings or words of Christ in this book 
will stand firm as those who have built upon the rock. The blessing of the Christ to such was a victory over death. And then from uh, Revelation, hmm. Behold, the Christ mind will soon be known among men. Blessed are they that order their lives in accordance with the truth which is revealed in this book. That's a paraphrase of Revelation. And then Lord Dunmore. The primary object of every Christian scientist is to endeavor to gain a spiritual insight into the knowledge of those laws and principles which relate to Christ and to his teaching as we find them in the scriptures and to so order their lives as to act up upon these principles. What Tom started out with, it's not in the reading and the wondering and thinking about, it's in the keeping, doing. That's why, you know, people can mess up. They don't connect the dots. They read about it and they think reading about it is doing it, but then they hate their neighbor or whatever, or they fear this and that and the next thing. You're not keeping these commandments. You have to keep them. You have to do it. When you're afraid, you have to know, do not fear. When you are angry at your neighbor, you're to know you love your neighbor as yourself. You, when you're judging everybody, you've got to know, judge no man. Sermon on the Mount. You keep these things. You cannot say it and not do it. His brethren are only those who do the will of God. So, Thank you. Yes. And when you do, then he comes to you. That's in the Bible, too. I was so touched. I never seen that before. Christ will come to you when you obey his commandments. And you feel his presence. And when you don't, you don't feel his presence and you feel separated from him. So if we recognize that this book of Revelation is God speaking to us. If we take it seriously, don't ignore it. You will be blessed by doing so. You can't help but be blessed. It's full of lessons. Mrs. Eddy uh, says somewhere that the book of Genesis, uh, the first chapter of Genesis, and the book of Revelation are the two most spiritual books in the Bible, which is why she has a chapter in her textbook on each one of them. Because the, the lessons are um, the lessons are invaluable. And they are total they are the ultimate spiritual lessons, if you will take them. What did they say in Sunday school class about the Ten Commandments? <coughs> Someone well, we said, heard it. <clears throat> Yeah. Well, oh, that they're the rules. They're the rules. And, and we, we started by saying, where do you have rules? And one of the little ones said, we have rules for safety. And I said, exactly. <laughs> That's why God gave you these 10 commandments is for your safety. Thank you. And then we go on and Linda does all these wonderful things with the kids all over the room. Thank you. And I found, found this was very interesting in a commentary uh, about, um, says, a friend pointed to this story published in the New York Times in 2011 about a stone tablet on the coast of Japan. The stone tablet has stood on this forest, forested hillside since before they were born. 
but the villagers had faithfully, faithfully obeyed the stark warning carved on its weathered, weathered face. Do not build your homes below this point. Residents say that this injunction from their ancestors kept their tiny village of 11 households safely out of the reach of the deadly tsunami that wiped out hundreds of miles of Japanese coast and rose to record heights near here. The waves stopped just 300 feet below the stone. They knew the horrors of the tsunamis, so they erected that stone to warn us, said the village leader. Hundreds of so-called tsunami stones, some more than six centuries old, dot the coast of Japan. Who knew? Silent testimony to the past destruction that these least lethal waves have frequented upon this earthquake-prone nation. I find it fascinating. Messages from the past serving those living in the present. That's what these biblical laws are. For your safety, protection, guidance. Well, it's unfortunate that when they built the nuclear power plants, no one <laughs> told them about the stones. No one told them about they the stones. They were built below the stones. Oh, yeah. they were. Yeah. Okay, well, here you are. Obedience. They disobeyed. Them. They disobeyed. So they they ignored the book of Revelation to their detriment. <laughs> <laughs> so we should not make that mistake. And I there another thought occurred to me as I was thinking about this and reading this. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of of there's a lot that's been written about what the book of Revelation means and what the meaning of this is and what the meaning of that is. And it occurred to me, there are millions of different meanings in the book of Revelation. It means something different to each one of us because each one of us is at a different stage in our spiritual growth. It will mean something different to you than it means to me. So, you know, to have an intellectual discussion about, well, what does this mean or what does that mean is kind of interesting, but not terribly useful because, because it is so, it is God speaking to each one of us individually. So it's going to mean something. It's got a million different meanings to it. How many people are there on earth? Seven close to eight billion. Eight billion. Now. It'll have eight billion different meanings within it. So we shouldn't despair if it means something different to you than it means to somebody else who's written about it. Take what take, take what it means to you and be grateful for it and live it. And tomorrow it will actually mean something different to you. And the next day, it will mean even something different. Thank you. And, and that's somewhat of a disclaimer, too. Not, you, you all don't have to agree with anything that's ever said at a roundtable or Bible study. Kevin, you know, if you think something differently, that's fine. We're an independent church. So uh, this isn't that we're trying to tell you something that you've got to do. Uh, Keep help. your ears out for the little warnings that <laughs> might be there that come yeah. from experience. Yeah. If, it, if little, it helps you, great. The little tsunami warnings. That's you do right. get those, though. We do. <laughs> and if it helps you, that's wonderful. That's the intent. But, yes, we're all. But I think all the different uh, 
understandings are culminating in one message for all of us, God's supremacy, God's allness, and the nothingness of evil. So gradually we're all learning it, whichever way we is coming to us. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so um, our next question, and uh, now we're kind of getting into the meat of the book of Revelation and moving forward in our uh, study of the book. So um, what is the lesson uh, of the letter to the Church of Philadelphia? Which I kind of like starting out with this question because we were talking about blessing and now we're talking about Uh -huh. What? Listening to the prophecy. Love. God's love for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Well, there was a faithfulness in Philadelphia that that God that Jesus appreciated, isn't there? Faithfulness and patience also. Well, love is a mighty force, that's for sure. And I know in the verse 7, it talks about the key of David and that it opens and it shuts. And if we're talking about love, I got to say, from my experience, I know that if you show love and appreciation for people, you win their cooperation, and that can open doors. And that's a sign that I think for a greater opening, you know, we have the sign from Jesus where he walked through doors that had just opened for him. But he had a great love for his father and the purpose of why he existed. And there was this higher purpose that overruled all of the so-called material limitations. And if you have a love for this, God will open up the door to make his purpose work here for us. And we've seen that in our church. Uh, you know, we've needed things and God have provided what we needed from sources that we had no idea existed. Thank you. So there's something about divine love that opens up doors. It sure does. Yep. Yeah, no, that was really good because I... I think in the lot, it, in, in many ways, the, this letter to Philadelphia is an, an encouragement for them to purify, to strengthen their love, and to keep it in spite of the persecution they were suffering, to keep their love. And because, you know, Jesus says, um, what does he say? Because I, I, I loved you. Jesus proved the power of divine love himself. And he's encouraging them to keep their love for God. And that God's love for them will, will, will keep them going. And, and Kratzer says in his book, the opportunity of the human consciousness to know reality is an ever-present one. It is an open door and no man can shut it. The perception of reality has a little strength in human consciousness. And that consciousness has kept the word reality as a very important word and has never denied the importance of 
that name or idea, but has always cherished it. Here again, this goes back to, to Jeremiah, the ability to see reality now. That's the open door that's, that's never shut. I know when we became independent, I felt like it was an open door and that we came upon this treasure trove of all these books we were told we weren't supposed to read. And they were so wonderful. It's like a, a treasure trove. It was amazing. And the door does keep opening if you keep seeking and striving, you know, with all your heart, mind, and soul. And, um, which is ironic because the organization in Boston thought that they were closing the door to us. Well, that is true. That's very ironic. Yeah. And in fact, they were opening a door for us. <laughs> but it was God who opened the door for us, no doubt. In, in one of the commentaries, they decided an open door was sort of an open door to invite everyone to come, right? An open door. It's, it's open to everyone, and it is. And this was something from Spurgeon. A man once came to Spurgeon and asked how he could win others to Jesus. Spurgeon asked him, what are you? What do you do? The man said, I'm an engine driver on a train. Then said Spurgeon, is the man who shovels coal on your train a Christian? I don't know, said the man. Go back, said Spurgeon, and find out and start with him. <laughs> so <laughs> this is open door, and we should. This is why we, again, testify why we share what we have with others because we don't want anyone not to know about this, right? We want everyone in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and then I thought this was so sweet to me, this commentary, and I don't even have who wrote it, but he said, look at the features of the church in Philadelphia. The first, I have set before you an open door. And yes, to us, an open door to reality, an open door to help others. And then you have a little strength. Now we learn in science, it's good to have a little strength, right? Because then you rely on God for your strength. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that interprets mm -hmm. little strength, reliance on God. And then faithfulness to Christ Jesus. You have kept my word and not denied my name. So we've kept his precepts. We've relied on him and not on our own strength. We're out to help others three features of the church of Philadelphia. And then in some ways, these features seem unspectacular. They should be commonplace among the churches. Yet Jesus was completely pleased with this church. He had nothing negative to say about the church of Philadelphia, did he? And they did, did these three things. And then this is a quote. The Church of Philadelphia is commended for keeping the word of God, the Lord, and not denying his name. Success in Christian work is not to be measured by any other standard of achievement. It is not rise in ecclesiastical position. Certainly learned that one. It is not the number of new buildings, mm, that true, <laughs> which have been built through a man's ministry, concrete center. It is not the crowds that flock to listen to any human voice. All of these are frequently used as yardsticks of success, but they are earthly and not heavenly measures. And that's by a barn house. So, I mean, think of that. It's so touching to me. 
And, and I do believe our church does those three things. And, and doors have been opening to us. Do you want to recap those three things for everybody? Okay, the first, I have set before you an open door. I mentioned an open door to see reality. Another way to look at it is to help others, right? Very important in our church. And then you have a little strength. We know we can't do it ourselves. We have a little strength. So we throw all our reliance on God. And then the third, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. That word kept, we, we do it. We don't think about it or wonder about it. We've kept it. And Faithfulness. We and we don't forget it. And we don't forget it. Faithfulness to Christ Jesus. Those three things. Un, unspectacular in many ways. When you think of what a lot of churches strive for. Nothing in there about getting money, is there? <laughs> or becoming a great big church. Yeah, the mega church. A mega church. More buildings. More buildings, concrete center. Huge crowds to listen to human opinions. Yeah, exactly. To the human <laughs> voice. I mean, I was so touched by that. It reminds me of that quote you had given before from Billy Graham that he wished he had looked oh. for disciples and not converts. <laughs> yes, um, more disciples and not converts. More people who want to do it and not just be converted and say, hallelujah, praise God, but not not want to take up the cross and do the work or get their quick fix healing. I, I wanted to say when I was reading uh, verse 10 in Revelation here, that because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. It just felt like the last few years here for us, you know, lots going on in the world, but things seemed relatively the same for us here and normal, and we just kept on our business. and. Uh, I don't know. I just really stuck out to me. <laughs> so. In the article, again, The Seven Churches by Carolyn Getty, she says, I like how she talks about Philadelphia. Very, the message to the church in Philadelphia tells of the brotherly love that illumines all the way that sweetens every experience that wins back even those which, quote, which say they are Jews and are not. With brotherly love, we are kept from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world. There is joy always for those who love. They are indeed pillars in the temple of our God, dwellers in divine love and worthy of the new name, Christian scientists. That's and that is what we know, Philadelphia, the Church of Brotherly Love. And that's our, our city, Philadelphia, too. God blesses our city, Philadelphia, in America. Um, it was the first capital. First capital. Correct. A lot of important States. history went on there. Mm -hmm. Fight for freedom. Birth of our nation. Birth of our nation. Declaration of Independence. Underground Railroad. Yeah. Underground Railroad. During the Civil War. Yes. A lot of good. And that cannot be reversed. 
Thank you very much, Karen. Yeah, most important, city of brotherly love. <clears throat> That's beautiful, what, what Carolyn Getty? Yes, yes. It's on our website. Oh, good. Kind of makes and the new name, I and mean, that's what makes Christians, that's what, uh, you know, at Christian scientists, as, as Christian scientists, we should stand out as being the most loving uh, group of people, you know, um, and it has been said by, we've heard people say it, but it's, that's our, the new name, Christian scientists, because we were taught that a true Christian as Jesus demonstrated what a true Christian is, is uh, the most loving. I mean, just so that's, I like that too. And it is so true. Mm -hmm. Christ's Christianity. Not, I, I don't know always what the Christians generally are doing, but Christ's Christianity, Sermon on the Mount. And this is divine love, not human love. You're right. I mean, uh, the most important thing that any of us can can do is to learn to love correctly. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mrs. Eddy says the letter of Christian Science is plentifully available, but the heart and soul is love. These are some other quotes about Church of Philadelphia <clears throat> and lessons learned. Um, I would like to bear witness that I have proved this Philadelphian promise of the open door through years of ministry, and it has never failed. Promotion does not come from the south, east, or west, but from God. And if we commit our way unto him and trust him, he will bring it to pass. God's man is not dependent on religious talent scouts, nor is his ministry in the hand of ecclesiastical officials. His headquarters is heaven. And his itinerary is made up by the Lord of the open door. It was Havner. And then, neither wealth or influence, neither promotional schemes, nor the eloquence of its pulpit, nor the harmonies of its musicians can give it an effective ministry. The Lord alone has opened the door. The Lord alone giveth the increase. He gets the glory for it. That's more. And for you have little strength. The term little strength does not imply weakness, but real strength. They were weak enough to be strong in the Lord. We can be too strong or too big or too sure of ourselves for, for God to be really for God to really use us. The Church of Philadelphia, Philadelphia had the poverty of spirit to know they really needed God's strength. And then it is not a matter of great strength nor great ability, but great dependability. Samson had great ability, but poor dependability. A little strength faithfully used means much more than strength flashily and fitfully used. Havner. And then the Apostle Paul was a great example of this dynamic of weakness and strength. God's strength was made evident in, in his weaknesses. And then, have kept my word and have not denied my name. The church in Philadelphia was faithful to Jesus and his word. The idea behind have not denied my name 
is not only that they expressed their allegiance to Jesus, but that they lived in a way that was faithful to the name and character of Jesus. Church of Philadelphia. So um, just want to make an observation about today's discussion. So the, someone mentioned earlier uh, about intellectualism and, uh, uh, you know, Mary gave this recap on the Church of Philadelphia and Gary said about uh, must learn. Um, what we're talking about are things that are very, very practical. These things are the opposite of intellectualism. And so I hope that people are learning from this and then they're blessed from this. But to me, this is a good illustration of what is not intellectualism. Okay. And why you want to join this Bible study, right? <laughs> right, we're not just having intellectual discussion. It has to be practical. If it's not practical, what good is it? It's not. Right? It doesn't heal. That's it true. Heal. Turning like that intellectualism, a lot of times, well, I guess all the time for intellectualism, it's the idea that makes people happy, and then they don't do anything with it. So. Right. Yes. And you know, think, please go ahead. No, not denying God. I feel it's one of the ways that we can practically show how much we're standing with God regardless, and which opens the door that no man can shut. Thank in you. our own individually, I think it comes to us, the temptations come, they roar, and it, it seems so real. And this is where we can prove by not denying God. Thank you. Yes. And I know anytime Florence has any readings to do or anything like that, she's always saying, it's not me, it's not me, it's God. God. Mm -hmm. That's dependability. And, and all of you that demonstrate that, that's why your readings are so good. That's why what you do is, is good because it's of God and God is the only one that is good, right? And we all know that. Mm -hmm. You know, in that poem by Grace Stitch, it talks about yes. the hour of our service, that it is sacred and that it is selfless. And as a result, it comes across with great effectiveness. It's a beautiful poem for the readers or something. Yes. Prayer the for reader the readers. Pray. Yes, mm -hmm. the reader prays. Everyone should be familiar with that. It is on our website. It is. You can find it on the Wednesday testimony mm -hmm. readings. It's uh, right on, it's, the link to it is right on that page. That's that's a really good thought because it's not only important for the readers, uh, it's important for anybody who testifies. Yes, it's important for anybody who writes articles. It's important for anybody who does any work for the church. Mm -hmm. To sit humbly at thy feet. Yes. Yes. At the feet of God. I'm I'm a listener I, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why you know those of you who write lessons are are learning to humbly sit at the feet of Jesus and let God tell you what is needed. And that's the only way a, a good lesson can be written. It's the only way it can be read. Thank you. And then this, you know, this revelation continues to tell us that the Church of Satan, yes, the, the Jews were persecuting the Philadelphia Church. And then 
Karen read to it about how Jesus said they will change their ways. They'll come and bow before you. So those that persecute you for righteousness sake, and this is one of the Beatitudes, right? Mm -hmm. They'll have to change soon. So let them persecute all they want. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it on. They're going to have to eventually change their tune. Um, and that, that's what happened. And, and look what happens if you persecute a church that is doing good, that's doing the best they can. Please don't do that. Please, please stop. Because do my anointed no harm. It's not a good idea. And it gets being called the church of Satan. Even if it originally had good intent, it turns around and becomes something very bad. I mean, my feeling is the tares and the wheat, let them grow side by side. Those who do well, God will prosper. Those who don't, won't. But don't go out persecuting any anybody. It's a very bad thing to do, right? Who yeah. wants to do that? That's a form of... Right. Judge not that you be not judged. So and Sometimes it, we have to do the wrong thing in order to realize... Oh, that did not work at all. <laughs> did not work at all. Right. Did not work at all. So it's interesting. And, and as Karen read, the, the love, the love turned the enemy uh, and they became no longer an enemy because that's in Mrs. Eddy's article, love your enemies. Mm -hmm. They'll all be swallowed up in love. And there will be no division or fighting or enemies. Not in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, there was just one other thing in, in science and health when it talks about all these things that are going to happen. Pages, you know, starting that 96, 97, the chapter on Christian science versus spiritualism. Love will mark the hour of harmony and spiritualization will follow for love is spirit. And then before air is wholly destroyed, there will be interruptions of general material routine. It's all in there. Mrs. Eddy's predicting these things. And this is where she also says that on one side, science and peace. On the other side, discord and dismay. And that as Christian scientists, we must, must keep crime in check. I believe this goes along with what is said in Revelation. Mm -hmm. That was all I had today. So anyway. There's since the key of David's been mentioned, you know, many times in the in Revelation. I liked what Mrs. Eddy says on 171, where there's an mm -hmm. indentation of paradise regained. True discernment of the spiritual opposite of materiality, even the way through Christ's truth, man will reopen with the key of divine science, the gates of paradise, which human beliefs have closed and will find himself. Unfallen, upright, pure, and free. Thank you. Thank you. The open door. Thank you. The open yes, door. The yes. Open door. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How exciting! What exciting times we live in. They are exciting. Oh. Well, thank you, everybody. Um, I enjoyed today. I enjoyed visiting here. And, our cottage. Um, so I wish you all a wonderful summer. Oh, yes. And we'll start again in September. Yes. Yeah.
at the next church. Yeah, I guess we already know what the question will be. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. 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 Thank you.